the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner, Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. Do a couple of uh, emails here in the third segment. Well, as... I was mentioning last several podcasts, we got to this point where, where bonds were attractive again, where I was wanting to do individual bond ladders for the first time since like 2006, one to 10 years on municipal bonds, one to five years on corporates. And that still looks pretty attractive. But boy, have we had a bond market rally here in the last few weeks. We've got, if if you look at, the bond market, you can use the ETF AGG, which is the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index ETF. It tracks kind of the overall U.S. bond market, the uh, one of the higher quality bonds. Back on October 20th, that ETF was down 16.6% for the year. And there's been a rally of 5.6%. So it's now down, total return is down about 11% for the year. So that's quite a rally. We have the 10-year treasury rates go above 4% and fall back down to closer to, what is it, around 3.5% or so now. Now, inflation has, as I've mentioned in the past, that it would, it has come down. But we still should see the Feds raise rates at least one more time, if not more, because some of the things are a little bit sticky. Uh, the supply chain, though, is better than I think most people expected. Looks like China may open up a little bit more, but we still have a very inverted yield curve where you can get over 4% on even, you know, 52 week to two year U S treasuries and the 10 years under, you know, 4%. And so that can change a bit at some point. Let's look, take a look at where we are for the market. And as I record the show before the market opens on December 14th, we look at the S&P 500, it's down 14.39% for the year. So well off its lows, close to down 25% at one point. The Russell 2000, if I look at IWM total return, down 17% for the year. So that's small and mid-cap. Emerging markets, if I look at EEM, is down 19% for the year. International developed. Who would have thought that international developed with all that's going on overseas would be outperforming the S&P 500. It's down 11.5%. And then if we look at the equal weighted S&P 500, because remember, when we take a look at the S&P 500, 
It's supposed to be an uh, an index of 500 of the largest companies in America, but it's market cap weighted. So you got a ton of money in Apple, Microsoft, and companies like that. You look at the S&P 500 equal weighted index by Invesco, the symbol is RSP, where you truly have about a buck in 500 companies. If you were to put in 500 bucks into that ETF, you'd have about a buck in each of these largest companies in America. That's down only 8.3% because then you have more exposure to value-oriented stock in that. Now, let's talk about Bitcoin for a minute. Are you sick of hearing about it yet? Are you sick of hearing about cryptocurrency? Well, Bitcoin year-to-date is down 62.32%. Now, yet the Bitcoin trust, because that isn't directly investing in Bitcoin, it's investing in Bitcoin futures, is actually down 75.8% for the year. Painful ride there. Let's put it back in perspective, because as I mentioned before, if you look at the S&P 500, right, we're having a negative year. The S&P 500 for the year is down about 14%, but let's put that in a three-year perspective. It's still up 33% for the last three years, people. All right, so uh, most people's return, if you kind of had a a, a well-diversified portfolio, should be flat to positive over the last two years. Basically, in 2020, um, we we kind of you know had that big correction and and then re- big rally back, and then the market just skyrocketed in 2021, and then we gave it back in 2022. So if we look at the five year average of Bitcoin, the actual price itself is up eight percent, but the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust symbol GBTC, the price percentage change is down 67.69%. The S&P 500 over that same period of time is up 50.6%, almost 50.7%. So over the last five years, S&P 500 has crushed Bitcoin, plain and simple, all right? Now, FTX, this, this company that essentially took coins and blended on coins and this is not as much of a cryptocurrency issue as it, as it is a, a FOMO issue and people wanting to believe. And there's a lot of politicians and even country issues that are going to come out of this. There's been over $7 billion of lost assets. And unfortunately, it's probably a lot of just people that couldn't afford to do this. So people had the FOMO issue, fear of missing out. I got to get in now. I got to buy some Ethereum. I got to buy some Bitcoin. I got to go stake it. I got to make some, you know, you can stake it and you can not only own the cryptocurrency, but get six to 10% return from lending it out to other people that want to borrow and trade it. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. And that's what happened. And a lot of people got sucked in. And, you know, if, as Rob and I talk about on radio all the time, we can't sit there and pump up a stock and go buy it. It is illegal. Yet all of these different people, celebrities and you know, people in sports industry were pumping this stuff up. And then fortunately, a lot of people, again, that couldn't afford it, lost their money. This guy that looks like he spends way too much time in his mom's basement playing video games and forgetting to get his haircut was running this billion-dollar company on QuickBooks. There's nothing wrong with QuickBooks, but that is not a system for a large company like that that's dealing with 
tons of transactions and lots of money flows and everything else. And I mean, this is just, it's such a disaster. There definitely has to be anything that's related to cryptocurrency. Because again, it's not the cryptocurrency. It was the issue that people found out that, hey, I can create these business platforms and trading platforms and make money on people that want to trade cryptocurrency, want to lend it other out to other people to trade it. And you know, then there was just the guy, they, the people were just basically using this as their own checkbook. Ridiculous. I mean, this is just blows my mind. The thing that needs to be talked about more, though, on this cryptocurrency issue is that these people got a high ESG rating. A high ESG rating. That's environmentally, socially, and government's rating. So that's when a company, if, if you make it into an ESG index, it, it means that you're supposed to have a high ESG rating, which means your company is doing good things for the environment, good things for society. And in terms of the board that oversees the company, there's good diversity and things like that. They got a high ESG rating, higher than many companies in the S&P 500. Who the heck is doing these ratings? It's starting to become more of a, 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 a crock than what people were trying to say. I want to invest in companies that aren't polluting the environment, that are not um, supporting causes in society that I don't believe in, and that have diversity on the board. It's not just a bunch of old white guys. There's, there's diversity in terms of races and, and, and gender and things like that. And it's a joke. Like whoever is paying for ESG ratings should probably get their money back at this point because that whole system needs to be revamped. So it's that's sad because that's how a lot of investors want to choose to spend their money or invest their money in companies that have high ESG ratings. The I mean, a couple of other things that I've read: the FTX bankruptcy means seventy-three million in political donations are at risk of being clawed back. The amount of people that were tied to this guy on Capitol Hill is, it's just going to get worse. And then I don't even know about, there's all these rumors of, you know, ties to Ukraine and Russia and all this other stuff. But this is just a mess. But I feel bad for people that lost money in it. Stocks do the best over time. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass. Or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all free pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. Let me correct something that I said because uh, I realized when I was reporting the Bitcoin price percentage change, this was, it was just the versus the S&P 500. That was the percentage change. Um, it was not including the total return of the S&P 500. So when you look at Bitcoin price over the last five years, it's up 7.99%. But if you invest in the S&P 500 five years ago and reinvested those dividends, you'd be up 64.3%. Even with this year's rough year. Markets positive 70 to 74% of the time over you know rolling 20 to 50 year periods. Average return tends to be 10 to 11% over 20 plus year periods. And it's often a three steps forward, two steps back type of a process. That's part of investing. When the market drops, that's when you typically want to buy more. Just look at how the fear levels were in, in September, October timeframe, and then boom, you get a rally. Right? Now, we've been talking all year 
2022, that whole idea, the 4% draw rate is dead, is, is one of the most popular financial news articles out there that this was, you know, I've been in the business for a little over 28 years. And, and back in the 90s, that 4% draw rule was, was created where if you had a balanced portfolio and you were able to live off 4% of that portfolio with all of your other social security and everything else, and you, you should be able to last throughout your lifetime and increase your withdrawal rate every year to keep up with inflation. And we got to a situation where that was when the 10-year treasury, so bonds were much higher in terms of income. 10-year treasury was well above 4.5% versus 1.5% or so at the beginning of this year. And then stocks got expensive. PE ratios on tech stocks were up near 30. Stocks were expensive and bonds weren't yielding much. We weren't getting anything on our savings accounts. And that's all reversed this year. Stocks pulled back. There's a lot of areas that are cheap. I still love small cap value, for example. That, that's one that when anytime there's a hint of a recession, they tend to get pummeled a little bit. But the, the price to earnings ratio in those areas, oh my gosh. Makes me drool. Makes me drool. Um, now, there's certain stocks that are still a little too expensive, where they're priced for revenue growth versus earnings versus you know the PE ratio. But long story short, in 2021, Morningstar uh, was calling for a 6.25% rate of return for large cap stocks over the next few decades. And because of that and because of where interest rates were, we weren't getting much money on our cash or our bonds. They were calling for uh, uh, more like a 3% draw rate. And now things have reversed. You can get, if you go to places like, um, well, for our clients, we use a couple of different options that get a huge amount of FDIC insurance and 3.45 to or, or more of income on, on liquid FDIC insured cash. But even if you go to, you can search for, you know, high yielding money market accounts like Nerd Wallet, stuff like that. You'll see like Capital One 360 and Ally. I had a client that used Lending Tree recently for um, they were trying to set up a trust account, their liquid cash, and had a horrible experience. Um, so I would steer clear of of that one, in my opinion. And so if you've got a better result from using, because Lending Tree used to do those micro loans, and now that it seems they're they're trying to be more of an online bank, an FDIC insured savings account option, but it did not go well for one of my clients that tried to set it up. You got Marcus, um, Ally, A-L-L-Y, where you can get, you know, three to three and a half percent on your liquid cash. You can now get 4% plus on T-bills and T-notes. Um, you can buy those at a treasurydirect.gov account or even secondary market through your Fidelity, Schwab, and TD accounts. Um, seeing a fixed annuity out there that is a non-commission-based fixed annuity that pays 5% for five years in California for amounts over hundred grand. So interest rates have come up. So people are, are able to learn, earn money on their safe money now. Um, and stocks and bonds have both pulled back. So if you look at something like Vanguard Balanced Fund, VBIAX, which is kind of a you know barometer for a 60% U.S. stocks, 40% U.S. bonds fund, it's down 14%. So a lot of the expensiveness in those areas have changed. So Morningstar recently upped the amount that they're saying, okay, that's a safe withdrawal rate now. 
Um, so rather than going from like around the 3% range, uh, they're saying, oh, 3.8% is pretty good now. So you're back closer to that 4% draw rate. Morningstar Investment Management 30-year return forecast for U.S. large uh, growth stocks is now at 9.65%. So there's an article in Financial Advisor Magazine by Suzanne Woolley. Um, so we went up from 6.25% to 9.65% in 2021. I believe a diversified stock portfolio over a 20-plus year period will average you know, around 10 to 11%. But remember, 30% of the time, it's, ne- it's negative. So you have to be aware of that as an investor. Um, U.S. investment-grade bonds are now expected to return about 4.5%. I've been doing some corporate bond ladders for retirement accounts that one to five-year ladders that are with the total return expected from buying some of those bonds at a discount is over 5%. And that way you have a a specific amount of bonds, like 20% of your money coming due each year that people can use to spend if they need to in retirement. Love that approach. Doing one to five year in retirement accounts and for people that need cash flow and a good rate of return in a taxable account, like in California, do one to 10 year bond ladders, where if you put in you know, half a million bucks every year, you've got about $50,000 of principal coming back to you somewhere around in that area depending on how much premium you're paying for the bonds in order to spend. So it's a, it's a good way to do cash flow planning now. The long-term inflation forecast has also risen to 2.84% from 2.21% in 2021. So that's a good rate to use on all of your expenses in retirement, but I would use 5% on any healthcare costs that you have in your retirement plan. That's what we do and our planning department does at EP Wealth. And 2.84% sounds really low versus what we're experiencing right now and versus what a family of, say, four or five experience. But in retirement, it's different. You have that smiley face spending situation. You retire, you're doing your bucket list, you're spending a lot more money. You get into your mid-70s and 80s, you eat less, you go out less. You're just not spending as much. And then all of a sudden, your healthcare costs pick up. So if you're using that rate of inflation on your majority of your costs, but 5 to 6% on your healthcare costs, that's pretty good for a cash flow plan. And Christine Benz, which is Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance and probably one of the top five financial article uh, authors out there. She says, the biggest lift to our withdrawal rate came from higher fixed income yields and cash yields. Because we're on a new path, right? We enjoyed this really low decade or two of inflation and interest rates that have been coming down, and now that has to normalize. Morningstar Outlook also indicates that boosting the percentage of stocks in a portfolio above 50% won't, won't have much impact on a retiree's starting safe withdrawal rate. This is a shift in recent years when equities had significantly outperformed bonds. And we got to a point where the yield of the dividends being paid on the S&P 500, so when you own... The S&P 500 through IVV, VOO, SPY, or Vanguard index fund, you get dividends. And it was almost yielding as much as the 10-year treasury. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. 
While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. Talking about draw rates and article that uh, was in Financial Advisor Magazine. It was really talking about a Morningstar article, so you could probably find it at Morningstar.com and uh, through Christine Benz, B-E-N-Z. And one of the things they talked about is boosting equity allocations above 50% doesn't significantly impact your draw rate anymore. So there's that competition now, remember, that we talked about in the past where if bond rates come up and you start to get north of 4% on the 10-year treasury, which we hit for a while, and I think that we'll probably get back there in 2023 uh, because it's weird because the invert the in, we, we have an inverted yield curve or shorter term bonds are paying more than longer term bonds. So you could get more income from a two year treasury than a 10 year treasury. doesn't make a lot of sense, right? But that's typical um, prior to a recession. And when the fed is raising rates to fight inflation, so eventually something will change and it's probably a combination of, of eventually shorter term rates come down a bit and longer term rates go up a bit. That's what kind of makes sense in my mind to normalize interest rates like we used to have prior to the Great Recession. Um, so for a while, to, to go back in time here a little bit, over 28 years ago when I got into the business, the typical retirement allocation was 40% stocks, 60% bonds. And then it became 60% stocks, 40% bonds as interest rates continue to come down and down and down, really, which started during the Great Recession in order to re-stimulate the economy when almost everything collapsed. So, and that's what, what they're saying on going much above 50% makes a little bit of sense. My typical suggestion um, is when doing retirement planning, cash flow planning is very important. To say, okay, these are my total expenses, including what my annual tax bill is going to be, my healthcare costs, and everything else, minus what I'm getting from Social Security, pensions, dependable, maybe uh, real estate income potentially. And the remaining amount is your annual portfolio draw rate. And so I have three years worth of that set aside for people when they're five years away from retirement or in retirement. That allows you to have a, a, a pot of money to draw from when stocks and bonds are both down at the same time. So first of all, I set that aside. I don't think of that as the portfolio on allocation. And that usually for most people is about 10 to 15% of their assets. And then you create the portfolio. And the job of the portfolio is to replace the cash that you're spending. Now, the good thing is, is now we can earn money on cash, right? You can have... Uh, like I mentioned in, earlier in the show, FDIC insured bank accounts that are above 3% now. You can buy 26, 52-week treasuries and, 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 te- and notes and things like that that you're earning around 4% on. So there's good options for safe money now. But as you have your safe money, you know, typically I'd say, well, let's do like three to six months in your checking account and the rest earning interest somewhere for you. But as you spend money in your checking account, the job of the portfolio is to replace the cash. 
Now, on a monthly basis, you can take your dividends and interest, especially from your taxable accounts to replenish the cash. You just have a say, okay, what is my portfolio yielding? What are my stocks paying in dividends? What are my bonds paying in interest? Calculate that amount and set up a systematic withdrawal from your brokerage account at Fidelity, TD, or Schwab. We manage it all three places. And have that income sent to the checking account to help replenish the cash. And then on a quarterly basis, you look at the portfolio and you say, okay, hey, how much cash did I spend? First of all, did I stay on my budget? If that's the case and it's yes, how much cash did I spend? Let's say it's you know, 10 grand over that three-month period, over that quarter. If the portfolio is up 20 grand, peel some growth off, something that grew. Maybe this last quarter, this last year, it was energy stocks and certain healthcare stocks. Um, peel that off. Does that mean a tax bill? Yes. Congratulations. You're paying taxes because you have gains. It's part of retirement planning. Peel that off and replenish the cash that you spent. It's very important. That's how you manage retirement distribution planning. So again, I set aside that three years worth of safe money, that, that three years worth of not expenses, that's too high. It's your portfolio draw rate. And the rest of the portfolio, I typically favor that kind of 60-40 approach, 60% growth, 40% defensive. But now um, you know, going a little bit more conservative is just fine because of what bonds are doing. Now, let's get into that 60% growth, 40% defensive. That's not 60% U.S. stocks, 40% U.S. bonds. No, 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 no. It's, it's a lot more detailed than that. If you want to get a little bit more detailed, and again, this is not a recommendation for you. Consult a broker advisor before taking any action. This is just kind of my favorite you know, approach. Right now, it'd be somewhere around 46% U.S. stocks, 13% international, because look, international developed has outperformed the U.S., Emerging markets is on sale. So if we have a, a, a break in, in the Russia crisis, and if China truly opens up, I think you'll see some really good returns over the next five years there, but it's just very volatile. And then 31 to 36% in bonds and 5 to 10% in alts right now. And alts, by alts, I mean things like commodities, real estate, uh, other types of maybe direct lending funds and things like that for larger portfolios, but alternatives. So somewhere it's kind of a space between stocks and bonds. Commodities have been very important. Um, you know, we reduced last year exposure to fixed income or bonds and, and added to commodities, which has been one area that's up. You got commodities. What are commodities? Well, oil, soybeans, wheat, precious metals. Those are commodities. That the, the, When you have inflation, it's because the cost of all those things are going up. And so the best way to fight against inflation is stocks. Because companies figure out a way to charge people more money for their goods and services. And then commodities and things like inflation-protected bonds, but those got too expensive even prior to the jump in interest rates. People kind of saw it coming. So going back to that article that uh, Christine Benz was mentioned in, article written by Suzanne Woolley of, of her financial advisor magazine, 3.8% draw rate was, was what they talked about. That's fine. But look, people, your draw rates change throughout retirement. It changes throughout retirement. The dynamic withdrawal strategy is what you need to do. That's where you, um, you know, base your spending and, and draw rate based on where you are at in life, what your portfolio returns have been. Uh, you got to realize that you have the smiley face spending in retirement where you spend more in the beginning, less in the middle of life, like 75, 80, where... Hey, grandma, have you even eaten lunch today? No. Okay. Well, I ate breakfast and I ate dinner. That's all I eat. That's, kind of, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. 
we all we have older people in our families. We know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and uh, so draw rates change. Let, let's say you retire early. Let's say you retire at 62 years old. Well, your draw rate from age 62 to age 65 until you get on Medicare is much different. In that scenario, you're paying a lot for your health insurance costs. For You got to go to, if you're in California, for example, covered California, how much does it cost for your family? And sometimes people have kids older in life and their, their kids are 26 and still on their health insurance and they're paying you know, 26 grand or more for their family's health insurance coverage. Now, you got to be careful managing taxes because you get, you get some premium reduction for that. But then once you turn 65, you're on Medicare. And that's a different draw rate, right? Your your medical costs go down. Instead of paying, you know, 24 grand a year for the family, maybe you're paying 12 for you and your spouse for your supplemental insurance, your part D and all that other stuff that you you have to pay for at 65 once you're on Medicare. And then you might be putting social security off until age 70. So then you have this different rate from age 65 to age 70 and then your social security kicks in and then your draw rate of your portfolio goes down because social security is supporting a bunch of your spending. This is why you can't just do online calculators and also where you're drawing money from in those different phases of life and whether you're doing IRA or Roth conversions depends on how much your taxes, how, how much your tax bill is each year. And so there's a lot of different draw rates that we have to consider. It's not just as simple as at yeah, 3.8% year one, increase it with inflation every year thereafter. I've never seen a retirement plan that does that. Never, ever, ever, ever. A lot of times what we do is we'll set up, we like to set things up for people that it's, it's simple so that they have, okay, here's my cash, here's my safe money, here's my portfolio. Let's set up a systematic withdrawal. And usually people you know, kind of hang with that same number for two or three years until they come in with the review and they're like, you know what? Things are getting a little bit more expensive. Is it okay if we start to draw a little bit more out right now? And then we just look at the returns for the last few years. Yeah, you're, you're on track. Let's go ahead and increase your withdrawal rate and adjust the amount of safe money that you have. So it's a constant adjustment. But it is good news that we can now earn some money. Inflation is coming down. There are certain things that are a little bit more sticky, but that tends to affect people that are not in retirement as much. Right? When you're when you're talking about the cost of housing and things like that, a lot of retirees are in their home already. They already had refinanced their mortgage or paid it off. So they're not getting hit by that inflation as much. And all the other items are coming down. Been waiting to buy a car. You're going to see some really, really good deals on used cars coming soon. You just look at what's happening with Carvana. I mean, a lot of inflation had to do with things like car prices, especially used cars going up. So let's keep that in mind. All right, let me hit a couple of emails before we start running out of time here. Um. Boy, this was this one's probably going to be a little bit long, so I have to bring this through the break. Um, this one's from, from Elaine. Hi, Chad. We love your podcast show. My husband is about fifty-two, bought a long-term care insurance policy years ago through his previous employer when he was in his thirties. Due to his chronic health condition, he could not have been able to obtain long-term care on his own. The insurance highlights are current daily maximum four hundred sixteen bucks, remaining maximum lifetime benefits seven hundred fifty-nine thousand dollars, automatic benefit increase rider. 5% compound on the benefit. This guy just got a notice though of a 50% annual premium increase. 1625 a year is now going to cost 2437 a year. 
talk more about the question whether or not they should keep the long-term care insurance policy because I know a lot of you that have bought it have faced these rate increases and you're wondering, what the heck do I do? Talking about Elaine and her husband that had bought a long-term care insurance policy from a previous employer for $1,625 a year, but he's getting a rate increase, a 50% premium increase to $2,437 a year. And here's the deal. They're in their early 50s. Lane's no longer working, so they have another 20 to 40 years to live before they reach the stage, as she says in this email, of needing to file a claim. And typically, you don't see people buy long-term care insurance in their 30s like they did, but husband had a chronic health condition, and now he feels like it's under control. And so they're wondering if they can self-insure, and they're asking for advice in their particular situation. Now, a couple of things. First of all, I can't give direct advice. I don't know you. I don't know your exact financial plan. I don't know your situation in life. So, so keep that in mind. I'm just going to give you some thoughts here. I, one of my first thoughts is that even with this price increase, the benefit that this policy gives, which is a daily nursing home benefit of 416 bucks, compounding at 5% a year for a total pool to use of $759,000, for 50-year-old, $2,437 a year is super cheap. You're not going to be able to get that plan on your own. The reason why you're, it's so cheap is because you got this through a group plan, and group plans have less premium increases than people that bought their plans on their own. You need a detailed plan and cash flow projection, detailed expenses, detailed inflation projected into your financial plan, you even need to know how much you're projected to pay in taxes each year so that you can figure out what is your retirement situation? What will your annual draw rate be in retirement? And you can then use a financial plan. We just we can run all sorts of different scenarios. Once we have a base plan built, we can run financial models and say a nursing home stay for five years at age 80, a second home at 70. Uh, you know, all these different scenarios that we can run once the base plan is built. That's what our financial planners do. But what, what does your annual draw rate look like in retirement? So people that tend to be drawing around 3% or less tend to be able to self-insure against long-term care costs without having to sell or tap the equity in their real estate you're drawing more than that out of your liquid assets, then you might be have to sell a rental property if you have one, or eventually you, know, you, you sell or move out of your home into assisted living and use those assets. So you have to run those scenarios. Before you ever do anything with an insurance policy, you get a full physical. A full physical. For people that are dealing with life insurance and they're, oh, should I let this term lapse? Do I really need it anymore? Before you ever let life insurance lapse or make a change, do a full physical. And that includes like, you know, one of those, um, spacing the name of it, like a calcium scan, because people could have high cholesterol, but unless it's actually building up on their, their veins, it's, you know, that's not the issue. But, you know, this is something I mean to go into because, you know, my, my diet's pretty interesting. I'm super into health and fitness. I, I kind of do keto all day long, but I eat carbs at night so I can sleep better. So literally on a daily basis, I'm eating a ribeye steak for breakfast. So I got to keep an eye on my cholesterol, but if you know it's elevated, I'm not too worried unless I get a calcium stamp. I'm, I'm kind of getting distracted here on going on geek out on my, my biohacking stuff. But, but look, I mean, you got a chronic health condition. You need to know where you're at with that. 
And if $2,437 a year sounds expensive, I'm, I'm kind of doubting there might be enough assets to self-insure. But I can see where you're getting at. You're in your 50s. You're depending on just husband's income and savings to get you both through age 100. So it's a big decision here. Um, if it were me, I would probably keep the policy until I could get all these physicals and things like that done and just continue to renew it, uh, review it rather, um, <clears throat> because you're probably going to face more increases in the future and have to have this decision again. And a lot of times when you get these rate increases, like in, they have, in this situation, they could literally cash this thing out and take a $40,700 cash payment to surrender the policy or there's typically options to reduce benefits and stop the increase in benefits. And so depending on what your long-term detailed financial plan looks like, you've got to make the choice that's, that's right for you. But knowing that there's a chronic condition here, you got to think about your family. You both have parents. Unless you're adopted, you know what health issues your parents have been facing. Is there a history of Alzheimer's? Is there a history of dementia? Um, the other thing to think about too is that the way that things tend to work is women tend to spend a longer period of time in nursing homes. Ten men tend to go in for a shorter period of time and then die. And women tend to go in and live in nursing homes and assisted living facilities to a longer period of time. That's just what statistics have been showing. All right, let me switch gears and go to a different email real quick. Uh, this one's from Ben. I'll be turning 50 in 2023 and plan to max out my 401k. Um, and, and so all, those of you that know that's going up, right? And next year, we're going to be able to do um, 22500 if you're under 50 plus a, a $7,500 catch up if you're over 50. So people that are over 50 could put 30 grand into their 401k, either pre-tax or into a Roth 401k or a combination of both. Currently, my 401k... As a seven uh, has seven and a half percent Roth money, the rest is pre-tax. I plan to work for another fifteen years, and I'm at a high tax bracket. What would you recommend that I contribute to my employer, to my four hundred one k as pre-tax or Roth or a mix? Look, this is where you got to do some tax planning and talk to your financial advisor or your CPA, because the way that taxes work is it's a bracket approach. Not all dollars are taxed at the same rate. So Ben, I'm just going to approach this as if you're single. And for example, if you're, you're single and your taxable income is up to 170 grand, between 89,000 and 170 grand, those dollars are taxed at 24%. But as soon as you go above 170 grand, those dollars are taxed at 32%. So if you're making 190,000 of taxable income, you might put 20,000 of that pre-tax to get back to the 24% bracket and the rest into the Roth, for example. That might be a good approach. So the combination is the right approach, but I don't know your tax return. Your CPA or enrolled agent does, so ask when you file. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find me at chadburton.com if you need help with financial planning, money management. You've got a whole team to check out. Go to chadburton.com. Links to the, all the podcasts are there as well. Have a great day.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.